Last year was all about the metaverse. This year is all about AI this, chat GPT that. Listen, from now on, we, we got to start this new trend. We got to be revolutionaries in this movement. Anytime someone wants to start talking about AI this, chat GPT that, we're going to start with the real AI, the one and only Allen Iverson, the six foot shooting guard, third greatest shooting guard of all time. And for those of you that are a little bit picky at times was a point guard who was able to cross up Michael Jordan, make the shot, who was able to will his team against the Lakers, Shaq and Kobe. And even though he didn't win the ring, it was enough to make us proud, enough to make us proud. And not to mention in an era where there weren't where there wasn't a lot of spacing like there is today in today's modern NBA, where there was a lot more big men centers. There wasn't a lot of guard heavy oriented teams. And I just, we got to show some appreciation, shine the light on the real AI and start off these AI conversations like this. And then once we appreciate what he was able to do throughout his career, then we go, oh, okay. Were you talking about ChatGPT? You talking about this AI program? Oh, okay. Well, I was talking about a basketball player. I thought you were talking about a basketball player too. 76ers fan? No. Nuggets fan. Hey, y'all, y'all might do a little something this year. We'll see. But with that, from the AI takeover we've been seeing since 2023 started, as far as the media, and the most, not most recently, but AI just taking a significant turn when it comes to these covers of artists on other artists' music or their own original instrumental, it has been a very pivotal, a very pivotal time right now in our history. Everything has led up to this moment, billions of years of evolution, well, the earth forming, thousands of years of humanity on here, depending on what you believe in. We either been here for like a couple thousand years or maybe longer. But before we get into those tangents, everything has led up for you to listen to the Vivid Nectar podcast, episode 270, Alexander here. And it's been a little minute. I'll, I'll probably even say it's been like two or three minutes since the last episode. Now, if you're listening to this, watching this, I'll be uploading a double upload. I'll be uploading a double upload. Two episodes will be uploaded on Monday morning, getting on with the schedule. And I appreciate y'all. I told you. I told you it was going to happen. You doubted me. Maybe some of you doubted me. Some of you supported me. I was a little bit of me doubted myself. I'm like, am I going to keep on to the schedule? Am I? Am I going to keep on to the schedule? But we're here. <laughs> we're here with that. I, this episode, I want to talk about some of my favorite AI covers recently, whether we're talking about Juice World's Die For You on the weekend's track, Die For You. Uh, Kanye, <laughs> on No Stylist or Feel No Ways. We'll get into that bag a bit. Recently watched the Mario movie, uh, a gaming franchise that ever since I was a kid, I, I've been in love with. I, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but the second I was born, there was a Nintendo Game Boy that came out with me. Not even the, not even the Game Boy Colored. I, I wasn't born that advanced. All right. I wasn't able to see colors at first. It was just straight black and white, but it was an OG Game Boy already playing Mario. I was, I was a legend. Now, some of you might doubt this, but hey, what are you going to do? Fact check me? No, you're not. So with that, I'm going to be um, doing a review on the Mario movie. Quantumania review did surprisingly well for it on episode 269. I appreciate it. Um, I would like to make movie reviews, not something consistent, but in more, more frequent. But I don't, I can't say I don't watch a lot of movies. Just 
I, I, I wouldn't have a set way to be like, all right, this specific day, I'm going to watch a movie. I mean, technically I can, but you know, sometimes I just like to, on the spring of the moment, watch a movie and it just sort of happens. But with that, Mario, Super Mario Brothers movie, fantastic. Can't wait to um, eventually when we get started with the whole episode, break it down. Um, from there on the YouTube side of things, y'all, y'all know me. I'm a fan of a lot of hip hop outlets, whether we're talking about Ack at times, No Jumper, Joe Budden, Rory and Mal. And I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about Joe Budden, Rory and Mal, just because, hey, well, you know, this situation is a little spicy. But what I enjoy from both podcasts as somebody who I would like to say over the past week, I've been more of a fan. Sorry, those piercings bothering me. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to them both more frequently. And whenever it comes to the no jumper situation, it's been a crazy three months from the whole entire no jumper team. Adam, AD, Lush, no, the entire crew. If you've been watching no jumper, you've been seeing how you've been seeing this slow decline over the past couple of weeks. And then for the rest of the episode, we're definitely going to dive into a bit of a NBA playoff talk and anything else that happens to pop up. We got it. But before we dive in, I just want to say this real quick. It's it's Monday officially, at least on the East Coast, it's Monday. For those of you guys that are starting work this week, by this week on Mondays, don't complain about the fact that you're going to come to work on, on Monday. Don't start going on this wave about, damn, now the week is starting. I have to, you know, we have to be here. I hate Mondays. Shut the fuck up. No one wants to hear you complain about how you don't like Mondays, how Mondays are slow, how, oh, it took me so long to get up this morning. All of us are here for a reason. All of us are in the same boat as you. Instead of complaining about your Monday and how hard Mondays are, just drink some water with lime or lemon. Do your thing, get some coffee, you know, just take a little sip, take a sip and sprinkle, not Nothing positive, but anything about you being so drained and negative and sluggish, like you dragging the energy down completely. We don't want to hear that shit. It's a Monday. Get over it. So what happened over the weekend? And not just the casual what happened over the weekend either. Like, well, what's some shit that pissed you off? What got you hyped? What made you feel the need to wake up in the morning and get and say, shit, I'm living. And if not, hey, you know, depending on the person. Find, find, find out one coworker that's also your therapist. Y'all, y'all know you got one. I wouldn't say y'all, like everybody. But we all know there's that. There's those workers, coworkers that are always trying to find a therapist at the work spot. And whether that's you, whether you're the therapist, people come up to you and then tell you their whole entire life story. If it makes their lives easier and you up to hearing it, hey, shouts out to you, especially on a Monday, Karen, that, especially on a Monday. <laughs> now, for those of you that, don't start work on a Monday or God forbid you work on a Sunday. Y'all psychopaths. Y'all might be some serial killers working on a Sunday. I don't know about y'all. I don't know if I can trust y'all. It's funny because I was just, uh, I was just talking to my boy about how I'm fed up with barbers not being open on Sunday. Barbershops not being open on Sundays. Every barber for whatever reason got to take Sundays off. Why? Why is that? Who's, who started this? Who in this barber industry decided from now on Sundays is a no-go? Shops closed. Even the ones that they be doing at their house be like, ooh, Sunday? Yeah, I'm taking a break on Sunday. Y'all ain't going to church. Well, we could start there. Y'all ain't going to church. Yeah, I, I get it. Maybe spending time with families, but do that on a Tuesday. 
do that on a Wednesday, Thursday, like Friday to Sunday, I would see is the busiest just because majority of people have it off, right? You've been in these situations. You only off on the weekend. You, you need to get your hair done or whatever. Now it's like a chase. Now it's like a damn. I got like 50 other, 50 other people hitting up my barber because we're not going to sit here and say our barber. That will mean that our, our barber prioritizes other people. That isn't me. And y- y'all know how it is, right? You get a little bit of like, nah, that's my barber. That ain't your barber. That ain't your barber. That's my barber. But if it's on a weekend, now you got like, what, 50 other people at the same time. Hey, Bob, when you free, man? I haven't got a cut in like two, three weeks. I can't even see, I don't, can't even see myself anymore. I don't know who I am. I'm not the man I was when I got a fresh cut. And now you're battling for that 10 a.m. because you got something going on at 2 p.m. And then you got to come in with some boxing gloves. You got to knock some fuckers out. No, just me. Hey, what can I say? Hell of a day. Hell of a day. But where were we? Where were we? Mondays. Ah, the, the grand Monday speech. The grand Monday situation. Don't be that guy, man. I'm not telling you to be coming in all happy and peppy. Like, oh, man, what a great day. I woke up this morning. Alligators were fucking busting down a dance in the middle of the road. I petted a deer in the middle of traffic. Got me some, I don't know, some typical breakfast. Got me a casito on the way. I found, I found a rainbow, followed the rainbow. There was no gold on the other side, but it was a journey. Nah. <laughs> Yo, man, so with that, um, AI recently has been dominating in the, in the music space. We've been seeing labels, music labels, asking these streaming services, hey, don't give them any of these songs. Don't give them these files. Uh, and, and right now, when it comes to the legality behind AI, it's very interesting because I don't believe the music industry, correct me if I'm wrong for anybody that's like well-informed in this, has any like official laws when it comes to AI music. Yeah, they. we've seen like universal copyright strike an Eminem AI song, but as far as like how far... There, you know, are people able to use AI? It's still something that's got to be regulated. Like, there's got to be new rules, new laws in place as the technology continues to increase. Like, whenever we're talking about the the contracts of some of these rappers, some of these artists, is there anything in there that says, "Hey, any AI cover of your music is not allowed to be used by you or created by somebody else"? Like, whether they own the artist's name, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into it for stuff that is probably pretty simple for anybody that's um for anybody that's familiar with these kind of contracts. But the legality behind these AI covers and how prevalent they are on YouTube, on social media, spreading nonstop is something that definitely has my attention. Now, my attention for a couple of reasons. Number one, sometimes when it comes to the business side of things, I like to see how the music label and these artists and stuff, how it all works out. And secondly, I'm really, really enjoying a lot of these covers. I said at the beginning of this episode, the weekends die for you. There's a Juice World AI cover version of it. And I found that it honestly, honestly did Juice World justice. Now, real quick, there's a couple of people out here that they dare say that, oh, I could tell I could tell the difference between the real artist and the AI version. And on a poor, you know, not so not so accurate AI version of a song, you'll be able to hear, you'll be able to hear like sort of the robotic tones at times, or maybe the pitches doesn't feel so raw, feels a little too smooth for somebody you're familiar with. But I want to say there's a couple AI covers that 
If you didn't tell the person, I like I will, I'm I'm gonna vouch for this Juice World die for you cover. If you were to tell them this was something that Juice World never uploaded and it was leaked, they would not tell it would be AI. I could almost guarantee it. They'd be like, wow, Juice World had that range. What? Why didn't he officially release this? So I, I just wanna I wanna put that out there for the people to like, oh, AI music has no soul. I can tell. I could hear it in the frequencies that there is not a human soul behind it. Stop it. Shut up. We don't want to hear it. We just want to enjoy the music. Oh, it has no soul. Yeah, it is soulless. And I think that's what makes it better. All right. Maybe that's what makes it better. (laughs) But in all seriousness, Juice World's Die For You cover uh, the way I'm pretty sure someone like actually went into, I don't know whether it's a Fruity Loose or something and like actually worked on the vocals as well. I don't know exactly how these AI procedures work. But the auto-tune, everything from the pitch sounded like Juice World. There was a couple raw patches where it wasn't perfect. And I think it just added to that flair when it did come to Juice World's melodic vocals. Those bits of roughness, those patches of uneven tones just made the song feel more human, filled with a little bit of soul. Uh, Another AI cover that I've really been enjoying has been Kanye. Um, All of Me, his cover of John Legend's version. And almost damn near every single... Kanye cover of Drake's songs have sounded equally as good, at times better, but that could be due to recency bias, maybe a little bit worse than Drake's. Like if it's a Drake song and it's a Kanye AI cover, I can guarantee you, you're going to enjoy it. And at times you get, you get to really see that influence Kanye's, Kanye has had on Drake as far as his bars. Um, a lot of their bars I find from listening to these artists for the past, uh, I guess my entire life is I wouldn't necessarily say they are egocentric, but it heavily relies on like that first person storytelling view or just first person ran at times, whether Drake is constantly talking about his, um, his love life and issues or Kanye and his music, just, um, whether it's sort of him ranting off on something and not to just simplify, like Kanye just goes on rants to his music. Now nah, there's some phenomenal, um, versus storytelling references, um, so on and so forth. But in those moments where they're rapping through a first-person view and is, you know, they're sort of letting off steam or talking about their situation, I find a lot more alike than difference. I definitely see the influence, especially with these AI covers. Hopefully I didn't spit just now. I could have sworn I seen like a spit just... Um, splash zone. Stay dry. Stay dry. But recently, Kanye Andre's covers have been pretty dope. Uh, no stylus. That was um that was an AI cover I didn't expect to grab me <clears throat> as much as it did. Um, no stylus. Destroy lonely. Of course, I thought that was a an amazing, amazing song at first. But now hearing this Kanye cover, I'm like, I don't think I want to hear anything else. Um, there was a Tupac cover of Stargirl by The Weeknd that blew my mind away. Not so much in how amazing or mind-blowing or just artistically articulated, baffling it was as a song, but just the fact that somebody woke up one day and said, you know what? What if Tupac sang Stargirl? Like what, what, what has happened in your life? What has led up to this moment where you thought to yourself, Tupac, Stargirl, I'm making this song. Everybody going to love it. If you're a fan of The Weeknd, this, this might have been something that you probably craved at some point of your life. You know, maybe at some point while listening to Starboy, you were just sitting there like, wow. Sidewalks, 
but with Tupac. Magic. <laughs> Secrets, but Tupac. Magic. <laughs> Magic just, wow, why, why didn't we think of this? Finally, technology has caught up to this mind-blowing collaboration. I haven't really listened to too many other AI covers. I've just been trying to stick to a, some specific artists. That way, I could sort of get a gauge of how well the AI can copy these artists, potentially even make them sound better when it comes to some of the sing- singing performances. I've noticed that the most with Kanye. Kanye, well, we all know, he's, he's a, when it comes to actual singing talent, he ain't the best singer in the world. We all know that, but he's able to do enough to where he's able to make it his way. But some of these AI covers really give a little bit of more like sophistication, some softness, um, being able to make Kanye hit these pitches that he normally wouldn't be able to hit. Now, of course, what it loses in the rawness that it is Kanye's vocal, same thing with Juice World. we're able to get the opposite end, where it's like the softness, that bit of perfectionist that we usually wouldn't see. And with that AI, AI-generated vocals is very, how would I say it? I don't want to just say intriguing, but... I would say really interesting in the fact that I see a future in this where we grew up like, yo, I just made this playlist. I just found this artist or look what I got on my MP3, on my iPod, on my phone. What kind of music do you listen to? To where this next generation, their conversations will be like, hey, I just created this MF Doom album with this kind of production for like production from The Alchemist featuring Travis Scott. And that's going to be a reality. Like the fact that we could get to a point where we could create our own personal albums with some of our favorite artists, mix and match verses, create new entire verses, potentially. Um, Not just to reference chat GBT for the hell of it, but if these AI programs are able to not only create descriptions, but write verses, it could be a beautiful like mix and match situation where it's just like, yo, I just created like three tracks with Kanye's vocals with Kendrick Lamar's pen, with production from insert uh, Metro Boomin, for example. And I don't know if that's going to be the best combination, but the fact that there could be this future of everybody creating their own music, depending on how things, you know, of course, get checked with the legalities behind AI music. It's something I'm excited for. I will love that. Like, yeah, you made me a playlist, but did you make me an album? Did you? Because if you didn't, do you really care? (laughs) Do you really care? With that, Super Mario Brothers released, I want to say, about a week and some change ago. And this was a movie that I don't think I need to sit here and say, I've been waiting for. Anybody that's a Mario fan, we've been waiting our whole entire lives for this moment. Illumination, being in charge of this Mario movie, couldn't have been a better choice. Amazing work with Despicable Me. Amazing work with Sing. Some of the best art... art direction, and animation. I think it's important to mention that with Illumination, not only are they great with animation, but the art, the way they create these scenes in these movies is more than just characters having a crazy time. And I found in Super Mario Brothers, just in the trailer, some of the scenes were just straight out beautiful, look like cinematic shots. So with that, Super Mario Brothers review officially, I'm going to be starting off with the art, the animation, the CGI. This is probably the most polished, most beautiful 3D animated movie we've ever seen released. 
seeing the textures on the mushrooms, just seeing the textures on everybody down to the mustaches, Mario's hat, the shines on the eyeballs, even the lighting. One thing that I want to highlight with the Super Mario Brothers, there isn't static scenes. You see a wide array of shadows, a wide array of colors. As characters continue to walk, you're able to see the lighting be dynamic. Everything is fluid. And there's this, it feels like there wasn't a single cell that didn't go uncolored, unlighted. I'm pretty sure those aren't accurate words to describe it. But when it comes to the art, some of the scenes, the way they were shot, it's just a cinematic masterpiece. Beautiful chef's kiss, tres bien, five out of five Michelin stars. Whenever we're looking at the Mushroom Kingdom, for example, it's just like, wow. If this is what it felt like as a kid playing the video games and as an adult, just to see the wide scope of these characters living in their areas. And whenever we go into the Kong, go into the beach, even something as Bowser's kingdom, just seeing like that giant kingdom floating around as it goes into a new area. It was just to me, mind boggling. Every individual character, they have their own little bit of movement, their own way of walking. And it's just truly, truly standout animation, art direction. And as far as the cinematography and some of these fight scenes was just uh, mind blowing. Some of my favorites is whenever it came to those side scrolling moments of Mario going in with the blocks, like the simple 2D platformers we're used to, that gaming experience, or especially towards the like the third, what I say, like the final act of the movie with Mario and Donkey Kong teaming up together to, you know, eventually meet up with everybody at the wedding. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you're watching this, not too crazy as spoilers. It, it was just crazy that it's like that 2D style, but it's in 3D was it was everything I could ask for. <laughs> With the art and animation, of course, as far as the story, it's pretty simple. It follows two plot lines. Mario trying to save his brother and Peach wanting to save the Mushroom Kingdom from Bowser's wrath. I feel this plot line, as simple as it is, works perfectly. We don't need to have anything super in-depth in here. We don't need to try anything new. This is the first movie to really establish Mario on the big screen. This is a movie, more importantly, that is meant for the gamers, not for people that aren't familiar with Mario. If you're not familiar with Mario, um, I'm not going to sit here and say what you're doing with your life, but what you're doing with your life. But the fact that it's gamer oriented, plot lines, quick, simple, we get the deal. That way we could get into the meat of this, which is everything, everything else that's going on in the movie. Now, I could understand the argument for maybe the plot line doesn't do enough for anybody that was expecting more that isn't a hardcore Mario fan to a certain extent. But I will counteract with sometimes some of the best, some of the best things in life are simple. And having a simple plot line that has a clear direction, a clear goal. And at that point, it's just the journey leading up to these goals just makes it exquisite whenever it's executed perfectly. Now, as far as the characters, we got to start off with Peach, who I felt was the highlight of this movie. I love that she was badass. I love the fact that she was ready for all the smoke and that her title as princess means a lot more in this version of Mario. It isn't just you're a pretty princess. It isn't just because you were born into this royalty. You know, she just popped up into this world. The Toads chose her. And the fact that she views herself as a protector to the Mushroom Kingdom, someone that needs to lead the way. Of course, she has her other high-ranking Toad officials. Is uh, something, it's like a breath of fresh air. Not the damsel in distress, but the leader who's willing to do whatever it takes 
to protect her own kingdom. Introducing Mario and Luigi in Brooklyn was a nice, nice little spin that I didn't expect to have so much time invested in, but was great to establish the family, the way they feel with each other, the relationship dynamic, them starting up their own plumbing business. And it was just great to see Brooklyn. It was great to see that kind of realistic world before we eventually reach the Mario world, I guess you could say. So Mario, Luigi, brotherhood dynamic, Mario watching out for Luigi, Mario feeling, not feeling, but being more headstrong, believing in himself. Luigi, I wouldn't say doubts himself, but you could tell Mario's like, you know, the big brother that has to be there for Luigi to remind him, be like, hey, we got this. And I love that brother dynamic they establish early on. And because it, whenever Mario goes to save Luigi, it doesn't feel like, oh, it just so happens that I have to because he's my brother. You could tell that he cares about him, has that older brother relationship. So there's a little bit more to just, oh, we got to save Luigi because he's my brother. It's like, no, that's my brother. Like, that's, that's my brother. That's my, that's my blood. That's my best friend. We got to go save him. Uh, when they split up in the beginning of the movie, I enjoyed it. I could understand we could have had a little bit more with Luigi doing something on Bowser's side. But seeing as how this is the first movie, there's only so much time for every character. Splitting Luigi off and then going into the Bowser's area with some of the horror elements I found to be some of the best in the film. My son was going crazy over it. Probably his favorite parts, but with the dry bones, the lava going through the forest. And I say this time and time again, Illumination is able to handle scary elements in a movie fantastically. I would love to see them potentially do like a rated M 3D animation movie. Just want to throw that in here. But with that, love seeing that on Luigi's perspective, eventually he gets captured. Mario going through this journey through the Mushroom Kingdom, meeting Toad for his character tra and training, doing whatever he can to eventually be able to save his brother. Love the dedication and how focused Mario is for this ultimate objective. Going on into Kong, I like that he is flashy, uh, <laughs> flashy, egocentric, funny, funky to a certain extent. And, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of insecurity thrown in there at a certain point whenever Mario's like, all you do is smash. He's like, no, I don't. And he starts smashing around and flailing. And those are the main characters that I want to focus on. Oh, I can't forget the big one. Bowser. Love how menacing and powerful Bowser is. He definitely has the personality of a king of the Koopas. Like it's, it ain't aside from those moments where he's like singing peaches and those moments of comedy, those moments of, even when it's not comedy, him being a little bit goofy or showing these other traits of his personality. It gives him depth. It gives him flair. It gives him, I don't know if relatable, if y'all ever been in a situation where you want to kidnap a woman to marry her and then potentially her, hold her kingdom and friends hostage. But if you have, Get therapy, <laughs> get therapy. But those moments thrown in there with the fact that this man is a threat, a menace, a beast was incredible as well. So for the characters, all except, you know, Luigi could have been fleshed out a little bit more, but that's fine because everybody else, definitely, we got the conversations going. We got the personal traits. We, we And the way they talk to one another, the way they choose their cards, great. Now, that was the character... Uh, what was it? The character personalities, you could say. I forgot what I said. But so far, art, animation, the character developments of these characters, a bit redundant here. And ultimately, how 
is the voice acting. Superb. I never had an issue with Chris Pat. I understand with a big movie like this, it's important to have a voice acting veteran like Chris Pat. A lot of people like to assume that voice acting is simple. As amateur as I am when it comes to voice acting knowledge, I understand that it ain't as, it ain't as easy as reading a script. I found Chris Pat based on especially Star-Lord on Guardians of the Galaxy, a character that is all over the place when it comes to emotions, when it comes to tones, him being Mario, who's always placing these different situations, interacting with various characters. I found the voice to be extremely fitting. Everybody else did a solid job. Now, as far as how the Super Mario Bros. movie relates to the video games, it's Easter egg galore. References, Easter eggs, nonstop 24-7s. We, we were all geeking. We were all geeking. We were all going crazy. It was um, filled to the brim. We all loved it. And last but not least, how is it packaged for the future? Amazingly, they could go anywhere with here. We got constant references throughout the movie about galaxies, about other planets, about being, you know, multiple worlds. We didn't even get all the worlds covered in this world. Just Kong, Bowser's Castle, and the Mushroom Kingdom, and um, the Penguin's Kingdom as well. So, I mean, there's no, there's no limits when it comes to this franchise. I'm extremely excited for the future of this. And overall, I would, I would probably give this Super Mario's Brother movie a 10 out of 10. Kids love it. Adults love it. Family loves it. I love it. And I think that's the most important, right? Right? Let me know your thoughts. If you guys have seen this movie, if you haven't, what are you doing? Seriously, what are you doing if you haven't seen this movie? This is like part of your existence, I would say. You know? Hey, you can't just sit here and not exist, right? Right? Maybe I'm going a little too crazy. Just a bit. I'll, I'll give y'all like two seconds to gather yourselves here. All right. It's been two seconds. With that, the NBA playoffs has just started yesterday. We've been seeing a good number of games, some that haven't been so great. Usually, usually happens. I haven't been able to watch some of these games from start to finish. I try to watch what I can. I try to catch any highlights. I try to catch any live streams that I can. But a couple things I would like to start off with is number one, Lakers from out of the playoff spot to win the play-in to Rob Palenka pulling off one of the greatest moves for a franchise ever from not being able to go into the playoffs to now being in the playoffs and winning against the Grizzlies has been phenomenal. One thing for the Lakers that I would love to continue seeing and hopefully in those moments where they need LeBron, of course, LeBron has proven that he's able to show out time and time again. But for LeBron to continue to play off ball, to at times be the playmaker, to start Anthony Davis off in the beginning of these games is very important and crucial. Get Anthony Davis hot, loosen those muscles up a bit. That way he doesn't get injured, get him going, make him a prominent threat. And whenever Anthony Davis is the main threat, the number one guy that teams are focusing on, it becomes extremely dangerous because now you get in situations of 
LeBron is off ball. LeBron has his own gravity around the court. He ain't no Curry. He's not going to shoot the lights out from three. But at the end of the day, we're not going to sag off LeBron James. And now you got choices between do we double team and Anthony Davis, who is consistently getting hot. He's not going to be at the three point line so much. He's going to go into paint. But we got LeBron running around. And whenever we got these two planets orbiting each other, that's whenever all the rest of the role players really get the ball going. The fact that D'Angelo Russell is able to go down the court, especially at a half court set, which is important to discuss in a half court set, playmate, score, and just be able to move around freely, get everybody else going. That's whenever it becomes incredibly dangerous, whether we're passing the ball out to Austin Reeves, whether LeBron is taking things into his own hands, whether we're getting the pick and rolls going around that kind of ball movement becomes dangerous. And when the three-point shooting does click in, when the three ball is falling, the Lakers are just a phenomenal team. Defensively, they have been pretty on point. I definitely see as the playoffs continues to go on, their defense is just going to get better and better and better. And one thing that's also just, I find crazy about this is whenever you have someone like, for example, Shoulder, who at times is like, you're playing a little bit off, but then he has this moments where he's scoring his 20 or they were talking about Austin Reeves or whenever everybody is able just to pinch in a little bit, the Lakers become a true unit, full demolition unit. Now, listen, all these all these young guys, they're able to run this. They're able to run through the regular season a bit. We're seeing it to the Grizzlies. Granted, Adams and um, I forgot the other guy are injured at the moment when at times when at times when the game comes to a slower pace. We got more half court set. When everybody is actively playing defense and actually trying, they're all on defense. Because during the regular season, the NBA players don't have to say it. We could see it themselves. They're not going to be playing defense from start to finish just because that's a lot of running. (laughs) That's a lot of running. But at these moments where every defensive possession counts, it's going to be, it's a grind. It's a bit of a grind. Uh, love what I saw from the Lakers versus the Grizzlies. Going on from there, I was able to catch a little bit of the 76ers, the 76ers game against the Nets. Nothing grand or mind-blowing. Or You know, there's a part of me that wants to be like, yo, Michael Bridges, just do what you got to do to blow the 76ers out. It's realistically not going to happen. And that's okay. But James Harding shooting amazing from behind the line. It's an interesting thing to see because I believe, you know, James Harden now with his weight down without being the number one option will have a bit more, more of that pressure laid off to where he could play better. Unfortunately, James Harden, when he led his own team at the most pivotal moments of his career has not been able to show up time and time again. It's been proven starting all the way when he got blocked by Mano Ginobili on the Spurs. And we could talk about the infamous game against the Warriors, where not only the whole entire Rockets team missed 27 consecutive threes, but James Harden was just not able to do anything. And when you, when you need to be a legend in the making, you need to be able to overcome those hurdles. Harden has proven he isn't able to just have that extra edge. But being on the 76ers, being on a team where he is the number two option and you got damn near a seven foot beast that has, you know, not completely decides a shack, but 
probably one of the biggest guys since Shaq to have the kind of footwork, the kind of footwork that Joel Embiid does, the lightness on the touch, the turnaround jumpers, the three-point balls, the handles from a full court set at times, being able to push anybody down the paint. And B, whenever it comes to free throws, hey, uh, it's Joel Embiid. You don't, you don't exactly want to hack and slash Joel Embiid. Seeing that Joel Embiid is the number one option, the team leader, team leader, having James Harden be the second best player does wonders for him. He's able to focus more, play better defense, play make, which he's amazing at. And the fact that he's a three-point threat and deep down, he is a shooter. He is a shooter. And I wish he would do more mid-range shots. Uh, I know there's probably some stat heads out there that are like, why? Why would he not go for more threes? But to add some more diversity in his game is so far based on this, granted it is the Nets. Refreshing to see. Looks like he's flourishing. And if James Harden can continue doing what he does, I'm not expecting him to shoot more than 50 from behind the arc the entire playoffs. But having a bit of that pressure off, being able to have more time with the 76ers, being more lean, we're going to see the version of James Harden that's a sharpshooter you shouldn't ignore, hopefully. Hopefully. With that, I wasn't able to catch the Warriors and Kings game. So this is just based off of highlights. Me going out of my way to search up just bits of moments of the game that wasn't highlights. A couple things we we get proven in this series so far. The Warriors seem like this whole entire road, this, I would even say mystery. Their kryptonite being road games so far doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. It, it was just a matter of flipping the switch. Of course, granted, they finally got back Gary Payton a couple, like what, two weeks before the end of the regular season. Now they have Andrew Wiggins. So defensively, they're a lot better, especially closing out on those threes that have been killing them on road games. But of course, that's going to improve them a lot better. But as far as like this road mindset that they just can't win, that's out the water. And being as close as the game ended and how everything went, I still got the Warriors winning this. But one thing that I'm happy that we got to see is the Kings flourishing at a more slowed pace while keeping their pace fast and the intensity. Now, we're not going to sit here and say this game was as fast as the regular season, but the Kings proved that even when things get defensively heightened in the half-court set, they are still able to run the way they have been running during the regular season. Now, they're going to be over here doing miles like they're doing the regular season, but at the half-court set, Darren Fox, still super clutch. He's not feeling this pressure that everybody got going on. Malik Monk stepping up. Both of them, I think, uniting for 70-plus together with some solid efficiency. And of course, we got all the role players stepping up. Now, granted, I could see the argument for, you know, Will Malik Monk be able to do this again or De'Aaron Fox? And it's just like, oh, you know, that's the beautiful part about the playoffs is at times when the star players or some of the role players aren't able to do the same thing every game, other people step up. And I would argue that, hey, let's just say De'Aaron Fox and Monk aren't able to continue this. I don't think Sabonis is going to have the kind of game he had this game. I definitely see him doing better in game two. That's also an argument to bring up at times whenever these players, like, for example, Andrew Wiggins, game one so far, hasn't been great. First game back since he left and it being against the Kings, it being in the playoffs, shooting the way he did. I don't see him doing that for the rest of the series. So the argument for the Warriors being, well, Warriors aren't looking too good on Wiggins side. Defensively, you're right. Defensively, he's, he's better, better than what 
I anticipated. But I don't see Wiggins, as the series goes on, playing any worse than this. Uh, Curry's going to be Curry. Draymond Green, everybody else's. You know, it's just a matter of putting a little bit of oils on their gears. They're a little bit rusty. They just had a little bit of this road mentality. So as the series goes on, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes from closer games to the Warriors are just steadily increasing the gap between them, between the Kings as the end of the game goes by, it stops being close games. And it's just like, we're looking more into double digits. That's going to be my prediction as far as like the back and forth match. But ultimately, I do see, I do see the Warriors taking this in about, damn, I shouldn't be moving so much. I do see the Warriors taking this in about six, confidently. Uh, I will hope, you know, the Kings prove me wrong. And but with that, I want to end it off with probably one of the greatest, worst playoff performances at all time. Westbrook on the Clippers. They were able to ed- edge it off the off the Suns. They were able to pull off the win. Westbrook going three for 19, going crazy, almost like a triple double. He was a bit shy of a triple double, but making incredible offensive rebounds, making incredible offensive rebounds, going for incredible offensive rebounds, poking the ball away from KD like three times, I believe. Uh, Defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds, and making some grand defensive plays, the most um, infamous one so far. Him, Devin Booker, tipped the shot, blocked it just slightly, and then grabbing the ball to bounce it off of Booker again. And you would think if you look at the score, 3-19, and Westbrook was horrible. But then looking at some of the footage I was able to see, some of those moments, I'm like, defensively, he, he was incredible. He was incredible on the other one, intensity. And even those moments where he, you know, he wasn't able to stop his person, just the intensity he put out there is just like, if he could just score a little bit more, a little bit more efficiently, man. And the Clippers are looking very incredible. I believe Kawhi had uh, 38 points. Could double check that, of course. Kawhi looking super crisp, looking like the modern day MJ. Man, I wish his knee would be a lot better. I wish his knee would be a lot better. And a game I would have loved to see from start to finish. But Westbrook doing doing magic, man. Doing magic. Just these moments versus like, ah, eh, what's going on here? With that, that was everything I wanted to cover for sports. I want to place a bigger emphasis on the playoffs, watching more games from start to finish. This is just a couple of series I won't be paying attention to. I'm not going to be too attentive to the to the Hawks, Celtics. I'm not going to be too attentive with the, for example, right now, I believe it's the Nuggets and Timberwolves. Heat and Bucks was... Strange, I believe Giannis got injured after landing on his back, on his back, but I'm not too interested in that either. Regardless of playoff, Jimmy, it's just there's only so much time I got on my belt, so gotta 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 delegate a little bit. With that, no jumper, no jumper, no jumper. Over, I mean, I could arguably say since they got in a new studio, one of the biggest mistakes of no jumper that Adam unfortunately was not able to spot on, was not able to spot right away is making drama be the central focus of no jumper. One of its biggest strengths was putting the co-hosts in the forefront, having their own shows, their own, you know, podcasts at the end of the day, their own podcast episodes and seeing some of the camaraderie, the relationship, the dynamics and the typical day-to-day stuff be put into the public which was great. But whenever it comes time to the negative stuff, whenever it comes time to the drama, that back and forth, things in a workplace that you would normally 
keep behind closed doors, that you will try your best not to bring home, that you wouldn't be so open about, putting that all on the internet and not just not just allowing it to be a constant thing, but for it to be growing nonstop for the sake of views, for the sake of clicks, regardless of what they say. Like I know AD at times says, you know, there wasn't really that much pressure on him or anything. There wasn't too much drama. It's just another day in the office. We could see watching these episodes that there was a lot of animosity, beef, tension back and forth with one another that at least for me ruined Ruined, ruined it. It definitely just ruined it. Like, I ain't nobody want to sit here. At least for me, I don't want to sit here and hear these guys gossip about one another who's talking trash, who's talking in Discord, who's talking like, if y'all ain't going to talk about any any interesting topics with one another and just have your own fun and spin to it, there's only one way to go down. And ultimately, it happened. Now, we've seen everything from Lush getting fired publicly to the way Adam uh, handled the way he felt about AD, how that got out publicly. And ultimately, almost everybody, the entire main cast just being gone from the show, just annihilated, (laughs) annihilated with no jumper. I wouldn't say stood for, but represented for a good bit. Um, Having AD just continuing to go full on with community, I think, of course, is a smart, obvious choice for AD. I mean, at that point, when you have your own brand channel that is arguably doing better in views at times compared to the Clips channel of No Jumper and where we all know AD was saving some of his viewpoints for anyways, because there will be moments where AD would like have surface level conversations. And then whenever it comes time to go on a community, oh, he'll really flesh it out. Actually, no matter of fact, he didn't say this on the podcast, but this is his opinion on this and just fleshing it out more on there. Um, T-Rail back on Fig, same thing. And, you know, having those two being major components, them leaving and Adam just uh, being accountable for a lot of his mistakes just made no jumper fall apart. Now, as far as the future, I think. I think ultimately no jumper will be fine. Adam will be able to rebrand this in a way where it's going to the views are going to go back up. The money's going to go back up because that's something that was a bit weird to see and hear from Adam as open as he is when it comes to a lot of things, whether it's porn, whether it's personal life or how he feels about certain coworkers, the fact that he steadily continued to bring up money being an issue was just a giant red flag. The last thing you want to hear in a work environment, at least for me, I don't want to hear about my bosses complaining about money or me, me being the reason money isn't being made. It's like, yo, you're the boss. Keep that, keep that shit behind closed doors. Do what you got to do to solve it. But don't sit here talking to the audience about money being an issue just doesn't sound like you got the pockets lined up right so once that became more prevalent on top of everything that was going down i mean <laughs> at one point that you know with flacco almighty suspect some of the tension there that whole gina situation with the show i mean i could go on days and days for every single thing that went wrong in old jumper but it was the drama ultimately what killed it drama and the growth of other people that wasn't Honestly, I believe from what I've seen, wasn't communicated perfectly with Adam. Like, I think at a certain point, I'm not a business owner. Well, I'm not a business like no jumper. But at a certain point, Adam should have known better to be like, hey, man, y'all need to go do your own thing because it's just not working out with his own brand. And to add it here, Sharp Tank, I, I think is great. I'm not going to sit here and say Sharp is going to revolutionize no jumper. But so far... 
whenever it comes to Sharp being on No Jumper, it's like a great piece of the No Jumper brand, a great piece. And the most recent link up with Adam and Sharp showed that. And I love that Sharp was able to call out Adam at times whenever Adam was saying something. He's like, nah, you got to own up to it or that was on you. Like, yeah, Adam, <laughs> you, you, you dropped the ball a lot, dog. You dropped the ball a lot. But seeing as how Sharp is there, the other folks that Adam hired, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like none of them are interesting, really. I've always believed, and I've mentioned it, that Adam's greatest strength on the platform has always been in conversations that aren't hip hop focused. I always highlight, for example, like the ABBA and Preach interviews. The fact that, you know, they're talking about the YouTube space, they're talking about life, they're talking about all these different, you know, different subjects. And Adam genuinely see interested more in that aspect. I was like, these are great episodes, but it's also because Adam shines when Adam is able to shine when it comes to rap content too. But whenever it comes to adding in different subjects, dynamics, occasion, things like that, I feel like Adam gets in his bag in that way. And he also needs to like overcome this weird moment where he just doesn't see that he does wrong, especially with a household situation. Um, and, you know, just to go over it. Just briefly, anytime something gets recorded that needs to get cut, I don't, I don't understand how it's hard to have it not cut. You know what I'm saying? Like, how could you not have deleted it? Or forget blurring it out. Like, just deleted certain parts and just cut it to, you know, cut it to the next scene. There ain't no reason for it to be like, oh, you know, muted or bleeped out. We could read lips. We're not stupid. Like, maybe even shut the whole episode down. But of course, ultimately, money views, drama, and a lack of accountability was the downfall of No Jumper. Sorry that this was a bit disorganized here. And those were the things that brought it down at this moment. I'm excited to see how things will go on forward, go on forward. We'll continue to build going forward. But those were my brief thoughts on that since throughout the past couple of weeks. Like, I didn't feel a need where I needed to make a video after every drama-filled situation, but it's just like, all right, I need to, I need to give you guys a nice wrap-up. Nice wrap-up of the whole ordeal. Now, Joe Budden, Rory, and Mal most recently, um, you know, Joe's been fed up firing shots at Rory and Mal for, of course, them talking about Joe at times. And the whole bare minimum boy situation is pretty funny. Um, and not just like at Rory and Mal, but the way these parties are handling it. So, you know, by Joe calling them bare and minimum, them taking it, making it their own merch. I sort of enjoy, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I enjoy when people beef, but if there is going to be tension, as there is going to be back and forth, I feel they've been handling it a lot more cordial and not as disrespectful as it could go, uh, especially, you know, with Joe and Joe handling it in a way where yeah, you know, they still, they, they all, they both feel a type of way about each other, Joe, Rory, and Mal. But for him to, hey, instead of me defaming their characters, let me get at their podcasting. I felt that was not necessarily like that. Oh, he was a high road. He was mature, but it, he handled it in a way where it's just like, all right, that's, that's valid. We're not taking personal shots. We're not going too deep into it. And, you know, everything from the way Rory and Mal handled their podcast, whether it's like holding the mics like this, which, Joe, probably roasting me right now not roasting me but you hurt me because at times sometimes I just like to hold the microphone like this man <laughs> sometimes I like to hold the mic and with the wire being exposed with the wire being exposed but um 
from the way their slouch, the set, the wires, the showing on camera, and, you know, sort of going attacking their podcasting was a more, I guess you could say respect, more of a high road than where, you know, he could have just thrown personal shots. And Rory and Mal taking this to a point where it's like, hey, we're going to make the merch, the bare minimum boys, misspelling minimum. I found it hilarious, you know, get the bread, get the money, and then vice versa with them. I, I wouldn't say I hope they never continue to beef and they just squash it completely. But as long as these shots remain, I wouldn't say surface level, but if it, as far as it doesn't get too personal, I think I think would be the best for both podcasts, man. Because at the end of the day, I, I believe both podcasts serve their own purposes. Joe with Mel, with Ish. I'm right now forgetting the other two at the moment, but I love what they got going on. I love that they're all a bit older. So they all got their own little old perspective, I guess you could say. But it, it does feel, I want to say there is a bit more active energy in the Joe Bodden podcast. Um, that does, there does have a bit more, you know, because they don't have like more people. I believe, I see Rory and Mal, they have um, that one chick, the other guy. I think they have like the same amount of people speaking. Well, we count. I'm not here to figure out exactly how many people are speaking, the ratio behind it, but they each got their own cast. But and, and Joe, I feel due to the experience of the cast, what they've been through, they're able at times to get a bit deeper or a bit more like no fucks given. I'm gonna speak my mind. Whereas in Rory and Mal, their podcast I find could be a bit more laid back. I wouldn't say their surface a lot of times they're able to get a bit deeper in certain subjects, but it does feel a lot more laid back. And the fact that they're younger. Well, not super young. Isn't like Mao in his 30s? <laughs> but everybody else being slightly younger just makes it feel like, all right, they're not necessarily more in tune. Well, they could be a little bit more laid back. They could be a little bit more, I guess you could say, for a younger audience, relate a bit more. Uh, I, I, best way I would put it. But overall, Joe Budden, Rory and Mao, both I would say they're both solid podcasts. They both have their strengths and their weaknesses. Having Joe take shots at their podcasting. Oh, it's funny because a bit of it is true. A bit, a bit of it is true. Um, not to say that they need to spend a lot more money on their equipment. There are moments where whenever Rory or Mao are speaking, they start slouching. They point the mic the opposite way. I'm just like... They could do a little bit better. They could give a little bit more effort. Like, dear Lord, please, y'all could do more effort than me. I would like to say I don't uh, I, I don't come on here and not give effort. I'd be killing this shit time and time again. But with them, like at least I'm able to hold the microphone in front of my face. You know what, what I mean? Sometimes they'd be like all the way over here, out of the place. And that's it. Uh, that's all I want to head out. That's all I want to give on here. I don't want to get too ahead with anything that I see myself see them doing in the future. The fact that Rory and Mal are able to do live shows, the fact they're able to build and stand on their own with their own podcast and at times be entertaining and hilarious. And same thing with the Joe Budden show. I hope both of these shows thrive on and that the beef or, you know, there doesn't get to a point where there's like real, real beef or real animosity towards one another. And... I want to continue going on for it. So that's that with Joe Budden, Rory and Mal. So a couple of weeks ago, actually, I think it was in January. This is going to be a nice Uber Uber story put in here. I remember picking up, uh, remember picking up a lady. I want to say she was like her mid thirties. 
you definitely drank a little bit. And this is one thing that I appreciate about alcohol. Alcohol will bring the truth out of someone. I've never been a believer in, oh, because someone is drunk, that's not the real them. I'm a firm believer that anybody that's drunk is the real them. It brings out the real thoughts they think. It brings out their real intentions, how they really feel about you. Alcohol is a truth teller. That's one thing I love it. Now, granted, people at times could just be assholes. Some people want to fight when they're drunk. Some people are just douchebags. But, you know, whenever we're not getting that drunk, whenever alcohol is at the level where it reveals the truth about someone's character, I love it. So it's, it's magical. You get to find out everything. And one thing I love at times about talking to drunk people is if we're talking about, I guess, our lives or anything that they're going to speak how they really feel. So in this case, a lady, we strike a conversation and she asked me, what do I do? Of course, uh, you know, I tell her, I hold, I hold my podcast. Uh, and she's like, I, that's, that's, that's interesting. She doesn't say cool. I'm not gonna sit here and say cool. She's like, interesting. Um, she asked me, what are your plans for it? What do you plan on doing? How much money are you making? What it's about? Of course, I give her all the details. You know, I'm not, I'm trying my best not to be like boring with it, but I explain the podcast, what I do, the subject, so on and so forth. And after all of that, she goes, <laughs> wow, that's boring. Uh, that's boring right there. You need to spice it up. You need to make it more interesting. And I was just like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> hmm. Now, it wasn't one of those moments where I was just like, damn, uh, what am I doing? I'm not interesting. Uh, no, no, no. But I appreciated the fact that she was real enough to tell me like, ultimately, you need to step your shit up. Like ultimately, every, once everything was said and done to step it up. And not that I feel that I'm not doing good, but I just understand that every episode that I make on here is a step towards improvement. I'm better than I was doing my last time, so on and so forth, continuing on that pattern. But, you know, being able to hear that at times from someone like, oh, you know what? Your stuff really ain't that hot. Or, you know, I almost fell asleep back here. What's going on with you? Does put that chip on my soldier, soldier, on my shoulder to, all right, let me, let me improve even more. What can, how can I dissect myself to where I'm able to do better? Whether, we're whether it's like my comedy, whether it's the storytelling, whether it's the way that I speak, whether it is the topics, just being able to find the best version of myself to create the best content I possibly, well, I possibly can. And I really appreciated that at the moment. Now, as far as how the conversation continued on with this lady, um, you know, she was, it was a bit of a flex. Uh, it was a bit of a flex on her end. She's like, yeah, I don't know why you're still doing the podcast stuff. I'll like try to find something else to spend my time on. And at that point, I was just like, all right, clearly we got a little bit of an asshole back here. No, not too much. But she would go on to explain how she's making like 300K a year, doing these medical contracts, so on and so forth. But after hearing her brag about her life a bit, she's like, but my life ain't perfect. Um, you know, there was a situation where her father was dying. She wasn't able to really help him or even see him because he was in another country. And uh, that's whenever she starts tearing up a bit. And shouts out to all these people that trust me enough to have these intimate conversations. But that's whenever she went on to, you know, just describe how no matter how hard she works, no matter how much money she gets, there are these moments in her life where, you know, the money doesn't, the money loses value. She's not able to see at times how, you know, the relationship or the humanity and just being there for somebody else is more than enough. Then 
her chasing her bag and some of the humility and almost helplessness she faced whenever her father was dying and he hasn't seen her in the longest time. And then whenever she was finally able to see her father, like sparked him enough inspiration to continue to push through whatever he was going through at the moment to continue to live on from his medical condition. I forgot exactly what it was. And I'm a bit everywhere here with this. But while she was in this, you know, drunken state, the fact that hey, she told me what it was whenever it came to the podcast at the time in January. And to her, even though she was a bit hardcore with how she felt saying, ultimately, money isn't everything because I go through shit most recently with that where regardless of all the money she made, regardless how career focused, back chasing she was, she wasn't even able to almost be there for somebody as pivotal, influential, and loved as much as her own father. And it's these moments like this where I remind myself that even though I'm not, even though I'm not a millionaire yet, 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 even though I'm not a millionaire yet, even though I'm not at that seven figure mark with finances, I would love to, to be present, be aware of what's around me at the moment. Just because hearing it from somebody else, I'm not going to say, oh, now I know exactly what not to do or to expect the unexpected when it comes to potentially any close friends or family members that may be going through sickness or not be here anymore. But it feels good at times hearing it from somebody who is financially pretty well off that, hey, (laughs) money, money isn't going to, you know, money at times won't help you be present. That's ultimately the message I got from her whenever it came to that um, not being there for her father is that money won't help you be more present at times. And I say at times because, you know, depending on your career choice and anything, if you constantly have to work a nine to five, which there's nothing wrong with that. We all doing it to a certain extent, at least right now, back to doing a nine to five. Not exactly nine to five, but y'all know the deal. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> now I forgot. But, you know, obviously money will be able to alleviate some time, you know, get that money to get some time in return. But, you know, at, at a certain point, whether whether you got that bread, whether you don't got that bread, just being present is something to especially be aware of and to take it back to how she felt about the podcasting that I was doing. Something to remind myself that I'm not going to create content that's going to be absolutely loved. That is a given. I felt that's been pretty obvious through my entire content creating career. But that at times to appreciate someone that just says it how it is, not to feel like a personal attack. It's like, shit, all right, you're not rocking with it. Let me step up a bit. <laughs> all right, let me step up. And I will hope. I will hope. Now, for those of you guys listening, let me know how the content, I guess, has been since January. Now, what I definitely don't have a consistency, I would like to say that I would like to say the quality has been better. I would like to say that. I don't know about y'all, but I am definitely going to vouch for myself. Now we got, let's see, I work in like, what, four hours? I work in four hours. I haven't slept yet. I'm in this little, I'm in this patch right now where I'm deciding if I want to keep going or I want to get some sleep. I'll keep going for a little bit. And now that we're at this point of the podcast where we're a little bit intimate, me and you listening right now, getting a little intimate here. Not that intimate. All right. We're, we're just having a deeper conversation. The mid-20s has been a very peculiar moment right now. Right now, I'm 24. going to be 25 this summer. And 
it's I'm in this state where, especially you know, having a family, that it's just time. I wouldn't say um, I, I I wouldn't want to say that I'm losing time, but so far in the mid twenties, it just doesn't feel like you have enough time because there's this portion of my life, of course, where. I'm focusing on building myself up to where I want to be financially. Again, I'm not a millionaire yet. The goal is a milli plus. We understand that. But, you know, having to delegate time to reach that point of being financially lucrative to in turn be able to free up more time is uh, it is tiresome at times. But, you know, it, it could be frustrating, man. It could be frustrating because, you know, being able to having to have that motivation to I we need to get that money, but we also need to be present. We also need to spend time with friends and family. And then, of course, there's the work that gets sprinkled in and there. And it just never feels like there's enough time for friends and family, at least at this point. And by friends and family, I don't mean like, um, you know, not even like one person, but just everybody. It always feels like, at least for me, that it's just like I can't spend as much time as I want with everybody. I think that right there, I think that right there is the one. I'm not able to spend as much time as I would like with everybody. And at times it's just like, this this sucks ass, man. This really does suck ass. Of course, we got to get the bread. Um, of course, you know, be, uh, be the best boyfriend and father that I can be. But it's just certain moments. Like, for example, I guess uh, with this going over to grandparents, like, at a certain point, my grandparents aren't going to be here. And it sucks that because of the stuff, you know, at least in the mid-20s, what I'm trying to establish, I'm not able to spend as much time as I would like with them. Now, of course, yes, obviously, this is fix. Oh, go visit them, which I do. I, I try to set time to prioritize these relationships. But anytime they prioritize those relationships, like, oh, what about these other parts of families or friends? And it just feels like a never-ending chase to spend. It feels like a never-ending chase. Now you could just, it, I'm not catching up. I know at least for me, it doesn't feel like I'm catching up one bit, which is unfortunate. It's part of, I guess, the mid-20s. <laughs> I would like to say it's part of the mid-20s right now. Uh, I'm not even going to say hopefully in my 30s it's not like this. But for right now, it's just um, having a focus on just being present. And if I'm not able to see people personally, at least try my best to actively message, communicate back. You know? And that's another thing right now about the mid-20s that is frustrating. That so far, I've been able to manage pretty well. It's number one. Physically, I could tell I'm at this point in my mid-20s. I'm not saying I'm sluggish. I'm slow or anything like that. But compared to my teens, I'm not... I could I could feel certain parts of my body aren't the same as when I was, I was in my teens. Like when I was in my teens, I felt indestructible, run for days, whatever the case is. I'm built like a tank. But now it's just like I actively got to push myself to stretch. Let me actually work out because I'm, I don't have that same indestructible feelings. And I joke about it at times. Like if I go for a rebound, I'm going to feel so I'm going to feel like my ACL on my knee. But, you know, there's certain movements now in my mid 20s that I would like to say, like on my left knee, for example, I'll be I'll be moving sometimes when it's bending down or whatever. I'm like, this feels a little bit off <laughs> now, whether it's like a lack of stretch 
maybe I'm just not moving right. That could be it. But I've known that throughout my life, whether it's manhunt, basketball, and I was outside a lot. I've done some damage to my knees. And now in my mid-20s, I guess you could say I'm feeling a little bit of that, some of that damage going forward right now. I'm just like, oof, I'm starting to, starting to feel it a bit, dog. I'm not liking this. So far in my mid-20s. Also, another thing right here, going back to just feeling like I'm chasing time in itself. I'm at a point right now where it's just like, I have a shitload of energy. I don't know how I do it sometimes. Like again, I work like four hours, still here. But I'm at this point where it's just like, in order to maintain the relationships that I do, be able to spend time with the ones I want, I have to sacrifice sleep a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. And shit, you know how we do it out here. Night owls. We ain't got to sleep. It's all right. But I, I just, sometimes when I think about all the hours of sleep that I sacrifice, I get into those moments where like, damn, what are the long-term effects going to be? Are y'all ever get in those moments where you're like, first, like, I don't need to sleep. I'm indestructible. Ain't shit going to happen to me. But then you get those moments, at least for me, where I'm just like, damn, like, am I going to be, is this going to catch up to me in my 50s? Or my 60s, these days or moments where I'm only sleeping like four hours max over and over again. You know, I, 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 I push to have those days where I get a good number of hours. But in order for me to, you know, engage with the people I want to engage with, be there actively for family, friends and be the best version of myself, I find that I have to sacrifice my sleep more than anything else. And it can get irritating at times because then it gets to a point where, all right, if I do want to catch up on my sleep, that means I'm, everything else takes a hit. Me, at this point, trying to be, you know, um, pushing myself to be a millionaire. Like, I didn't, it ain't a joke either. I said this well, back, with, um, back with Matt on the podcast. Like, I, ultimately, the goal is seven figures plus. I'm a dollar closer than I was the day before. Y'all already know. But, you know, to be able to push myself to have a very, you know, to, to have a good amount of wealth, to have an established career, I can't see myself having more than like five hours of sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't see myself sleeping a lot because if I sleep a lot, that means I'm losing time for everything else. Money, family, even like me living for myself at times. You know, because I, I understand that's important too. As much as, you know, I want to be able to be there for the ones I love and enjoy. I also got to have some time for myself and not like, oh, I got to go out, whatever. But like, you know, just be there in my own conscious to a certain degree. Now, those, those would be one of the things I say is like the negatives of the mid-20s. So far, the positives, though, me and my conscious are in a great position right now. Me and my consciousness, that inner voice in my head, like we right now, we peanut butter and jelly. We be dapping it up. Like, you know, that SpongeBob episode where there's like a whole bunch of SpongeBob's on fire. Yeah, right now, it's like the complete opposite. We're all just like feeding each other, sharing drawings faxing all the paperwork magically. <laughs> I know uh, definitely teens, hormones, once all that kicks in, like your inner consciousness, I don't know, he's an asshole sometimes. He still is an asshole right now. But now in this mid-20s, there is a level of stability with that inner voice in my head. I guess you could say, you know, like inner consciousness. And there is like a, a lot more of a clear level headedness, I would describe it. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily like there's never a point where I don't overthink or I don't doubt myself or have those obscure feelings for your consciousness where you just feel like you're always fighting it, fighting against yourself at times. I feel where I feel at least in that headspace, I'm in a lot more sync. It feels more like me, myself and I, as opposed to me battling, I guess, the real me or my or, or battling my thoughts in that manner. That's one thing I will say about the mid 20s so far has been a lot better than like early 20s or even the teens. It's just like me and my conscious. We cooling right now. We cooling. We loving this shit. By the way, I just let me let me recap real quick, because at these moments, in these moments when discussing the negatives, I I'm loving adulthood. That's one thing that I'm grateful for. There's some people that say, man, being an adult sucks. It can. But, you know, I think at any point of your life, there will always be something that sucks. But one thing I could definitely be confident of for so far being an adult, uh, I'm fucking with it. Definitely enjoying it a lot more than being a kid at times, you know, at times. But I like nine times out of 10, I will never really be like, damn, I wish I was a kid again. When those, those nostalgic memories kick in, it's like, ah, the good, the golden era, the good days. But right now it's like, shit, I'm chilling on me. I could get Chipotle whenever the fuck I want. Hell yeah. Who doesn't love this shit, dog? Like who doesn't enjoy this shit? And to, I'm going to be ending it off here shortly. But if you are in this if you're in this headspace in your life right now, if you're in the mid twenties and you always feel like you're never have enough time, you aren't exactly where you want to be. You always feel like you're in a bit of a chase and you're afraid of losing out. I'm not here to say it's going to get better or it will get better. It'll probably get worse. Shit, it probably, it probably drains you every single day. But ultimately my message to you would be, you're not alone in this shit. Know what I'm saying? Like, hey, to be real, it's probably going to continue to be like that for the next couple of years, um, depending on whatever goes to your life. Like, again, it could get worse. I'm not here to say, hey, your day is going to get better. Think positively. Fuck that. I can't stand when people say that. You just got to think positive. You just got to look real. No, you're, you're probably going to continue to have these patterns when it's it, throughout these thoughts. And until you eventually reach a phase of your life where those things stop becoming a problem and then you have other (laughs) other things to be overthinking or having problems about. Like right now, I'm in this position of I feel that I'm always like chasing time. That's the best way I could put it. Like I'm trying to catch up to time. I'm trying to have more time. I'm chasing time in order to have like everything else. I want to have. But at some point in the future, I don't know, I could be complaining about having too much time. (laughs) And now it's just like, oh, I don't want to feel like I'm not doing nothing, but I got to be occupied doing something. So overall, if you're going through some shit right now, yeah, it's probably going to continue to suck ass for a good bit. That's probably the reality of it. Uh, Aside from that, just keep swimming. I've never been big, but I can't say never. But right now, I don't like the term think positively, push towards positive things, but rather, what can you do that is a bit more progressive towards your goal? You don't got to be happy doing this shit. You could be depressed as hell. You could be, unfortunately, you could be going through anxiety. You could be hating life, but just ask yourself and push yourself to have a progressive mindset. I guess you could say a progressive mindset, progressive actions. Like, you know what? Yesterday was 
bad. Today's bad. I feel bad. And, you know, until something happens to where you flip the switch or whatever, it probably continue to be flat bad. But what can you do to where you could progress a little bit more the next day? And if you mentally are feeling in this position of you just feel stuck. Unfortunately, whether whatever circumstance you're going through, it just almost feels like you're stuck in this consistent pattern and you just can't get out. I'm not going to sit here and say you can't think like that. But yeah, if you're feeling like you're stuck, just, uh, yeah, it sucks. It just sucks. my, my, My best advice in that situation would be like, what can you do to where you could feel just a bit more I would say unstuck. I know as, as, as great as that advice is, you feel stuck in life, just get unstuck. Catch me next week. I'm a doctor at this point, Dr. Roman, no problem. Um, if you feel stuck, man, just what can you do to push yourself out of that situation or that kind of, that kind of mentality? Shit, it could take weeks. It could take months. It could take years. One thing I'm grateful for, I could eat sweets still. Now, I'm, I'm going to end this episode like that. Regardless, regardless of the negatives and the positives, I'm just grateful that I'm able to eat all the sweets in the world. I love chocolate cakes. Chocolate cakes treat me right. And regardless of this consistent chase through time, I'm feeling like the flash over here. As long as I could have some chocolate, some of my sweets, as long as I got the fam, still got the friends, and you know, everybody's still alive at the time being, we chilling. We cozy. We cozy. With that, Vivid Nectar, episode 270, Alexander Roman, the rulers back, the eighth wonder of the world. Did we go in like an hour plus? Silky plush. Is that how Joey Badass said it? I'm not sure, but everything from Super Mario Brothers, AI, ChatGPT, the NBA, No Jumper, Rory and Mal, me, myself, and some of my own personal life. You know, you know, throwing a little bit of that personal flair podcast and so on and so forth. Thank you for tuning in. And, um, Fuck Mondays. But don't be the person that says like, oh, I hate Mondays. We all get it. We all get it. But God do what you got to do, right? I'm out.